0: My name is Richard. I'm sitting in a tree right now. I have a Kindle stuck in a branch, a can of spinthrift sitting next to me. I am a recovering religion addict, and I am now known as the Irreverent Nerd. Welcome to this week's episode of the Irreverent Nerd Podcast. Today, I kick off a five-part series in which I take a look at each of my top five favorite Star Trek captains. Check out my Instagram page if you want to find out who the captains two through five are. I doubt it will surprise you that my number one is Jean-Luc Picard. So let's dive in and I'll tell you why he's my favorite. My first reason is this. Nostalgia. I grew up on Star Trek The Next Generation. While I was too young to watch it in 1987 when it first aired, I do remember being very aware of it from a young age. My dad, who is himself a fan of science fiction and grew up watching the original series, watched many an episode live on TV. He also recorded a few on-video cassette tapes. He still has some of them, by the way. I don't remember exactly how old I was when I first watched Star Trek TNG, but I do know that it was during the original run, because I remember hearing about Star Trek Generations before it released. They filmed part of it in Arizona, where I lived at the time. Uh, The local news reported on it, showing footage of William Shatner and Sir Patrick Stewart climbing up a desert mountain. I recall being excited about that, so I I know I already had an affinity for the show as of 1994 but I digress. Jean-Luc Picard was my first Star Trek captain, so for that reason alone he will always hold a special place in my affections. But that is certainly not the only reason he is my favorite. Where do I begin? Ah, okay, yes, yes, with humanism, (laughs) sorry guys, with humanism, Picard was my first tutor in the philosophy of humanism. I love the episodes in which Picard often through his relationship with Data, explores what it means to be human. Honestly, TNG could be considered a weekly lesson in anthropology. The many alien cultures the Enterprise crew encounters on their journeys through space are, of course, based on human cultures. And Picard is certainly a student of those cultures. As was, it seems, Gene Roddenberry and, and his team. You know, you see that even in the original series... As well as, of course, the next generation. So, <laughs> that first bit there I uh, was reading as I actually wrote out my intro. So let me know how I did. Uh, I'm trying that out. I want my intros to be nice and smooth so that nobody turns this thing off within the first two minutes of listening to the podcast. Like, uh, you know, but I do really want this podcast to be conversational. Because uh, those are the ones I enjoy listening to. I enjoy listening to podcasts that that follow an outline, yes, but are conversational. Whether it be an actual conversation between two people, an interviewer, or an interviewee, or between two co-hosts, you know, what have you. I, I enjoy podcasts that are more conversational. But, that being said, I also like an episode to be about what it says in the title and not go off on a bunch of rabbit trails. And knowing myself, knowing that I probably have ADHD, haven't been diagnosed yet, by the way, but I'm pretty damn sure that I have it. Uh, I do want to get tested. Anyway, that's another point. (laughs) Speaking of which, shiny! No. Um, Sorry, ADHD joke. Uh, So I've got an outline here uh, about Jean-Luc Picard and some of the reasons why he is my favorite. Of course, like, the first one, as I said, is nostalgia. He was my first Star Trek captain, so he's always going to hold a special place in my affections, as I said. Now, around the same time, you know, I, I was certainly aware of James T. Kirk, and I don't know if I ever watched original series episode with my dad when I was really young. I'm pretty sure that The Next Generation is what I saw first. You know, I remember being aware of... Of both, though I remember being aware of the original series through the movies that were still coming out when I was a kid. Like I was born in the early 80s, so uh, you know at that time I believe Star Trek 1 and 2 had already come out before I was born. And then I was alive while the rest of them um, were released. Obviously I didn't watch them as like a 2, 3, 4, or 5 year old. <laughs> a little too intense uh, for someone that age. But I do remember Star Trek 6 I distinctly remember being aware of that coming out. And I had some friends who were also into Star Trek at the time. And I remember like hearing about it, probably on seeing advertisements on TV. I think I saw a book at the library, something like that. I just remember being aware of it. Obviously, I was also aware at that point of Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, my dad, who is also a sci-fi fan, uh, watched the episode, many of them, as they were airing. Uh, we still have a video cassette. I think it's down either in his basement or in his... He, he has like a video cassette holder shelf thing. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know what you call it. He's got DVDs and, and VHSs in there. Uh, but there's one where he recorded an episode from the late 80s. I think it's it's either season one or... Se- no, it's season one. Yeah, a season one episode. So this is like from 1987 or 88. Tasha Yar was still in it, so it's probably 87. Um, it's somewhere in there. Anyway, during the first season... Uh, now, it might have been in syndication at the point he recorded it, but I know it was the late 80s because there's an advertisement for a news station or TV station, I should say, in Utah. And we were living in Utah in the late 80s, me and my family. So I know he recorded it at some point in there, probably when it first came out, which is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> I think it's that one where where Picard and, was Picard and Crusher get stuck stuck on a planet and there's like or they fall down a hole or something and get hurt I might be getting my episodes mixed up but there's this automated security system that's there on the planet and I believe Worf and Tasha Yar are out there up on the surface I believe Riker was also up there and they're having to fight off these like (sighs) they kind of look like the head of the Star Wars battle droids except it was just the head and the neck flying around and, like, shooting, I guess, phasers, phaser fire, laser fire, one of those two, at them, and and they're having to to fight against these things. They eventually develop shielding as well, and meanwhile, Picard and Crusher are down. I believe it was Crusher that got hurt, and she had to guide Picard through. So, this is one of the early episodes, and and like I said, my dad still has it on VHS. Uh, Which is pretty cool. So anyway, like I said, uh, Star Trek, TNG, and then of course the TOS movies. But TNG, you know, was really my first exposure to Star Trek. And that was my first love when it comes to all things Star Trek. And as is probably true for most people, my, my three favorite characters were Picard, Data, and Geordi. Like, I love the friendship between Data and Geordi. And I also love, it's more of a a mentor-mentee relationship uh, between Picard and Data. And Picard talks about what it means to be a human. And that brings me to the first thing I love about Jean-Luc Picard as a character. Hopeful humanism. So, he was my first tutor, if you will, in the philosophy of humanism. You see that over and over again in the episodes, like his hope for humanity... You know, obviously, this this is something that comes from Gene Roddenberry, and, and TNG even more so, from what I've heard, than TOS, due to you know increased level of freedom, you know, in topics he could choose and what he wanted to write about. But TOS really was the early years, in particular, and you know before he died, was really a, a picture of Gene Roddenberry's vision for the future of humanity. You know, this world where we have you know, here on planet Earth, we have learned to live at, at peace with one another. We don't have money anymore. You know, we we just share things in common, which I, I suppose... I don't know if that's considered a form of communism. <laughs> Never talked about that. But anyway, like, there's no money anymore. Like, people just... People still have roles. They still have jobs and things like that. And obviously, as you go throughout the universe, there's other places that use money. So people still had to be aware of monetary systems and things like that. But you know, we have reached peace, you know. Now it comes, as you find out, as you go along in Star Trek, obviously through great conflict. And and I forgot to start my timer. I just realized that. Ha. I'm trying to keep these, like I said, 15 to 30 minutes is my sweet spot. So I'm starting my timer so I don't go too long for you guys. But there's, there's this hope for humanity that comes through in, in Gene Roddenberry's work, and, and really, in, in so many ways, is embodied in Jean-Luc Picard. You, you see it as he is... Well, you see it in the first episode, with Q. Uh, I'd originally thought about focusing this episode on how Star Trek deals with religion. I was going to call it, God's name is Q. Because <laughs> Q is obviously a, a stand-in for... God. You know, in so many ways, and Gene Roddenberry, uh, from what I understand, was an atheist, uh, not a fan of religion, and you see that come through in TNG. Like, and yet, you know, even though you see the uh, a pretty strong critique of religion throughout the run of TNG, it's not disrespectful. It's it's almost more academic in a way, even as it is human and and passionate. So, Picard embodies this humanism, this this hope for humanity, you know. And he's also, he's a scientist, he's a naturalist in many ways. Like, he he loves exploring. But yeah, the philosophy of humanism. Like, this idea, you know, that, like, Picard, as far as I know, doesn't believe in God. You know, most of the crew, they don't even talk about God. Even as they encounter many other alien cultures that have religions... You know, they're studying them almost more like scientists. They're in, encountering them almost more like anthropologists. In fact, in, in many ways, you could consider each episode, not every episode, like you have some that are a little more clunky and, and not, but so many of them are like a lesson in anthropology. You know, anthropology 101. You know, it's like you know freshman level stuff. You know, it's like examining human culture by having the Enterprise crew visit many different types of alien cultures, which obviously, you know, they're based on human culture at the end of the day. You know, different elements of human culture are are borrowed to inform, you know, the creation of the discrete alien cultures that you see in Star Trek. So it's, it's fascinating in that way. And it, it did allow me to explore a lot of, of what it means to be human. And my dad and I even remember, like, as I got older, especially like we had talks about about humanism. You know, my dad was not a fan of humanism. Like he, he's a devoted Christian, and uh, he sees humanism as the worship of humans. So he, but he pointed he pointed out the fact that Picard was demonstrating humanism. You know, that, as a philosophy, and and we had some talks about that. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that, that that I was exposed to that that my dad talked through that with me you know, on a philosophical way, like he felt it was important for me to know about these things and and to be able to compare them to the belief system that I was raised with. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Um, So anyway, so so there's that, hopeful humanism. Um, Second, one of the second reasons that I've written down here is diplomatic acumen. Talk first, but of course, be ready to fight. And I think that's a good approach to diplomacy in general. Is like, talk first. Let's let's try to talk this out first. In fact, I I would probably say talk first, talk second, talk third, and then if you must, fight. Fight fighting should be the last resort. Um, now, Picard was certainly ready to defend himself and his crew. You know, if anyone comes out guns blazing and attacks them, they're ready to defend themselves, and I appreciate that. Like, you know, they're not they're not pushovers. They're not doormats. The Enterprise is heavily armed, you know, because they're aware that you go out, you know, even though it's exploration and diplomacy first, you know, they're aware that there are dangers out there and that they're going to face attack. So they're ready for that. But over and over again, you see throughout the course of the Next Generation series, you see Picard, his first inclination is, is always... To talk through things first. Talk through it first. You know, let's let's try. If we, if there's a conflict, let's try to resolve it through discussion, through debate, through negotiation. You see him often f- filling the role. I say often, but a number of times throughout the series, he form in a formal sense fulfills a role of mediator between warring factions. In fact, I was just reading a, a Star Trek comic. Um, I've read a few of them over the years, like uh, Star Trek comic books. Like, I'm more a fan of the novels, I guess, when it comes to the expanded universe. But I have read a few of the comics as well, and I was reading one on my Kindle just last night, actually. Um, and it's another situation where there are two warring factions on a planet. One of the factions has appealed to the Federation, has applied for. Um. Membership in the Federation, but that membership has not been granted yet because there's still a civil war going on on their planet, and Picard is coming in, you know, functionally as a mediator between these two cultures. Now, on the one hand, I suppose that can come off as a little arrogant sometimes. It's like you know, Picard's the Great White Hope that has to come in and help other cultures solve their problems. (laughs) You definitely get some of that with Kirk too. So, so on the one hand, you could see it that way, you know, and it could. I think there's definitely some of that element in there, you know, which is a very American mindset of, like, let's come and, and help the world solve its problems. But on the flip side, like, there is a need. There's a genuine need for diplomacy and for effective mediation. You know, that's genuinely important. Statecraft, if you will call it. Like, the ability to negotiate with other countries, with other foreign powers, to talk through things very important, you know. When it honestly important to the survival of the human race. Uh, that's never more clear. Hasn't been. I don't know. That's ever been more clear in my life than it is right now. As we are on the the verge potentially of World War III here, and I don't think I'm exaggerating. Like I'm genuinely concerned about that. You know, with what's going on in Ukraine, and I have not looked at the news today, so don't hold me to that. Uh, this is Tuesday as I'm recording this. I'm going to release it tomorrow. So I'm not sh- sure what's happened as of today but just as i've been following the news you know with russia invading ukraine and you know just the the tete-a-tete you know between biden putin and other world leaders and putin this could escalate into that and and obviously our leaders are very aware of that although i think biden may have forgotten it the other day when he's like using very strong language like you don't want to exacerbate the situation By making it personal. In fact, I read an opinion piece on that. It's like, hey, Biden, like, don't don't make this about you and Putin. Don't make this too personal. Let's keep it macro level a little bit and say, hey, we want to avoid nuclear war here. Legitimately, let's avoid nuclear war. Like, it's not going to be good for anybody if that shit goes down. Which, you know... So that that's important. And and I love like Picard. I think for myself and for many others it would not surprise me at all to to find out that there are some people who actually have the job of diplomat who were inspired to pursue it because of watching Star Trek the Next Generation and seeing Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And his inclination is diplomacy first, even more so than than James T. Kirk. James T. Kirk is more of a man of action. Picard is more of, of a thinker and a diplomat first. Now, but Kirk certainly filled that role from time to time, but he, he, he's a little more hot-headed, more of a man of action first. You know, le- he has less diplomatic acumen. You know, he still has it. It's still there. But Picard, I would say, is the better diplomat. But again, you know, he can handle himself in a fight, both in person, like... I mean, the dude fought Nausikens, for crying out loud. And yes, I know they stabbed him through the heart. But, <laughs> but still... Like, now he was an idiot to do that. And, and he knows that. But he fought some Nausicaa. He fought two Nausicaans. It took two Nausicaans to take him. You know what I'm saying? He can handle himself. You know, and he knows how to fight, you know, in uh, in space. You know, he's a, he's a tactician. But he's a diplomat first. So, okay. Here's another thing I love about Picard. His compassion for oppressed peoples. And this is something you see consistently throughout Star Trek. Um, but obviously, John luc Picard embodies it like when he sees when he sees a people group being oppressed by another people group you know even if it's just an individual entity or or being that he sees being harmed or oppressed he wants to jump in and help protect the the being or the beings plural who are who are being oppressed and he takes action to that effect you know often through diplomacy first but he will take action you know through fighting if he must in order to rescue others in order to to protect those that, that don't have the power to protect themselves you see that over and over again as i said throughout star trek but but certainly you see Jean-Luc Picard where he has to wrestle with it sometimes is, is when he comes into conflict with the Prime Directive. And honestly, I, I think even though he certainly sets it aside, he's not as flippant with it as, as Kirk was, I think. like Kirk was very loose and free with the Prime Directive in a way that Picard was not. Even though Picard did set it aside, it, it came from a very... You could tell he's not just acting instinctively. Like, he's thought it through, you know fully and and uh, he knows why he's doing it he knows why he's making that decision like when when he sets that aside you know so he, that's sometimes where there's a conflict of like hey you're not supposed to intervene in the development of this society and yet there's oppression going on should we do something about it and this is this is something we see the crew wrestle with again and again um So that's another. Uh, Let's see. What's next on my list? Oh, yeah. Strong decision-making skills. So he makes a decision, and he imbues it with confidence, even when he doesn't feel that confidence. This is addressed in at least one episode. I can't remember the title of it. It's probably addressed more than once, but there's definitely one episode I I recall him talking about the fact. I believe it might have been a conversation he had with number one, you know, with Will Riker. We talked about that he doesn't always know what the right decision is, But as a leader, he has to make a decision and he needs, the crew needs to believe that he believes it's the right one. So he has to make that and imbue it with confidence so that he can lead others. Even if he has some doubts about whether it's the right decision, he knows that someone has to make the decision. And that someone is him, given that he's a captain, he's responsible for the lives of, you know, was it about a thousand crew members, I think, that are on his ship. Not to mention anyone else who might be involved in the conflict. He has a decision must be made, and he's good at making them, and he imbues them with with confidence and has strong leadership skills. You know, I, I love that about him. Yeah. Kirk has that as well. Um, I'm, I keep comparing him to Kirk. Like, there's a lot of other captains out there. Pretty much all the captains have that have that ability. I think, um, but but I love the. I don't know and some of it just honestly is Patrick Stewart's presence you know he was theater actor first member of the Royal Shakespeare Company Sir Patrick Stewart you know he has that presence he's lost a bit of that in his older years his voice is not as powerful as it used to be if you've seen season one of Picard which I'm going to talk a little bit about before this episode ends but if you've seen season one of Picard you, you know his voice is not what it once was like he, he doesn't have that, that same stage presence at least not in that series and like I said, he's just, he's getting old. The man's in his 80s, you know, so cut him a break. <laughs> but when he was young in his prime, like his 40s and 50s, when he was recording TNG, man, you talk about stage presence. And yet, as the series goes on, like you see this, like he's also learned how to do the more intimate scenes. A perfect example is the episode The Inner Light. It's on many people's top five lists of, of favorite episodes. Uh, many People's number one. It's definitely one of my favorites. I think it's definitely in my top five TNG episodes, The Inner Light, where Picard lives an entire lifetime, you know, within, like, what, 20 minutes, or whatever it was, like, through the that special probe that interacts with his mind, and he, like, literally lives, what, 30, 40, 50 years in this culture. Awesome episode. You see he's good at the more intimate acting and some of that he had to learn over time because he had not done television before he hadn't done a lot of film either at that point I think he'd been in Dune and and a few other things but he he was more of a stage actor and you definitely see that presence coming out in fact there's quite a few theater actors who get involved in Star Trek and it is theatrical in many ways and that's another thing I love about it but anyway so he's also Picard is also a philosopher Obviously, he thinks deeply about things. He's, he's, that's part of the reason why he's a good decision maker. Like He's thought through a lot of these issues already and has come to conclusions for himself, things that he's confident about. Let's see. Checking to see... Okay, I'm getting short on time here, so I'm going to try to wrap this up. So, Another thing I love is his, his love for archaeology his appreciation for history you know and coming down to like even finding physical artifacts of that like I I really like that he enjoys archaeology and and finding relics of the past if you will and along with it obviously is his curiosity you see that over and over again as as, as they explore the universe his curiosity about other people groups his curiosity about about phenomena (laughs) phenomena um. Yeah, I just. Yeah, it's just. I love Picard. Okay, it's <laughs> one of my favorites. So, before I wrap up, before I wrap up here. Sorry, take a couple minutes to talk about Picard. Now, I have not seen any of season two yet because I'm sort of going in cycles with my streaming services. So I will. I'll keep one streaming service for a while, like as as a series that I like is releasing new episodes. Uh, for instance, I have Apple TV Plus right now. Um, I got it this time around because uh, the season three of Servant, uh, M Night Shyamalan's Servant, which I highly recommend. Uh, not to everybody because it's it's pretty rough, but it's brilliantly done. Um, that just wrapped up, and then uh, the morning show. My wife and I have been watching that. Together, also really well done. Um, I'm not sure if the season is finished yet, but we're not finished with it yet. But when we finish those, I'll probably end that subscription, and then I plan to sign to Paramount Plus, so I can get caught up with Picard season two, which I've been excited about. Like ever since I heard that Guinan was going to be on it, I was like, oh yeah, you know. And I've seen just little bits and pieces that there's going to be more about the Borg and seven to nine. And please forgive me, those of you who are already in the midst of watching it. I, I'm not ashamed. Like I said, I'm, I'm trying to balance my streaming costs. So I have good reasons for it, but I'm looking forward to getting caught up with that. And, uh, yeah, so I'll talk more about that probably at a later date. But, yeah, I enjoyed season one. It, it was definitely different. It, Picard felt more like Patrick Stewart to me than Picard, if that makes any sense. And maybe some of that is just simply because Patrick Stewart has grown and evolved as a person. I mean, obviously like over the last 30 years, like he's a different person now than he was when he was doing TNG. So I think some of that comes through in Picard, but you still see like his humanitarian efforts, like his hopeful humanism, his compassion, like you still see that in him in in the series. And I, and I love it. And, Okay, I'm going to geek out for just a minute here, or nerd out, however you want to say it. The opening of the first episode, I, I was so happy. And I was watching it at my dad's house on his 55-inch 4K TV. I did not have a 4K TV at the time. So it was so cool to see the TNG Enterprise in 4K up on a big screen. Oh, shit, I loved that so much card and data they're playing chess and i know it was a dream sequence or whatever it was but i love that i loved that man that was so cool um i don't know if sh- i don't know if they've shown it in season two oh that would be oh yeah but yeah <laughs> production value was excellent obviously in the new star trek series that they've been coming out with um looking forward to some of the other ones that are coming out the um, one with Captain Pike looks really cool. Apparently, Kirk's going to be in that too, from what I've heard. Um, yeah, not played by Chris Pine, played by somebody else. I forget the guy's name. I think he was on Vampire Diaries or something. I don't know. I don't know. Something, something. Paul Wesley or something like that. West! Wesley! <laughs> Where's the boy? <laughs> oh, man. So, that's a funny part of Picard. Like he's not good with kids. So, of course, they, they put him in situations where he has to deal with kids, uh, Wesley being one of the main ones. And he's so awkward. <laughs> I love it. I love it, you know, that he's so awkward around kids. And he talks about that. Like, I think in the first episode, he talks about that with Riker. And he asks him to help him in his interactions. He's like, because his family's on this ship, well, I'm going to need help. You know. Sorry, that's a poor Picard impression but yeah he's just so awkward but I love how his relationship with Wesley develops over the years and he becomes like a father figure to Wesley but at first he's like calling him the boy and shit like that so so are the other people it's like where's the boy what's he doing on the bridge you know (laughs) hilarious so anyway guys uh, I'm gonna wrap this up I gotta go and like I said I don't like to keep you guys more than 30 minutes so looking forward to next week where I talk about my number two captain and that is Catherine Janeway she is my number two on my list. I'm not going to tell you who the rest are. You got to go to my Instagram for that if you want to see the full list, or you can wait and you know for each episode to come out. But as I said, this is the first in a five part. Did I say this? If I didn't, here it is. This is the first in a five part series where I look at uh, the five captains, um, or my five favorite Star Trek captains. I know there've been more than five, obviously, but my f- five favorite captains in order for me. So, like I said, go check out my Instagram if you want to see the top five uh, in all their glory. You know, <laughs> but week to week, you know, I'm just going to be talking about one each week. So this week was Jean Luc. Next week will be Catherine Janeway, and Voyager. Just a little preview. Voyager was the first series that I I started watching as it was coming out. Uh, TNG I was too young. I was like four years old when it when it started, so I was too young to have been watching that. But Voyager. Like, I remember watching that as it was airing, uh, especially the second half of the series. Like, I I watched it as it was airing on UPN, (laughs) the UPN network or the UPN. What is that? Universal Paramount Network? Something like that. I forget. Doesn't exist anymore. Anyway, or does it? Maybe it does. I don't know. Anyway, so you'll be hearing me next week. Thanks again for joining me today. Peace, my fellow humans. Make it so. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of the Irreverent Nerd Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at irreverent underscore nerd. That's at irreverent underscore nerd. You can also check out my YouTube channel, appropriately titled, Irreverent Nerd. If you would like to send me a voice message to be included in a future episode, please go to anchor.fm forward slash irreverentnerd forward slash message and drop me a line. Stay weird, my fellow nerds. Until next time, may the Force be with you. Make it so. Avengers Assemble! I'm Batman.